from Home of Christ for this morning again. Um, this morning you'll be taking a break from the book of Acts and um, you'll be looking at something uh, in the Christian life which is idolatry. Yeah. So we'll be looking at something um, that's very important in the Christian life and that, that is idolatry. So this morning we're going to see what idolatry is, why it's so alluring, um, and, and, how, and how our God, the God of Israel, uh, demands this exclusive worship to Him alone. Um, so we're going to look at a couple of verses, two verses from the book of Exodus, and in the context, God has just delivered His people out of Egypt from slavery, and He's now bringing them to the promised land of Canaan. So along, the, along this route, he brings them to this a mountain called Mount Sinai. And when he lays out these laws and commands so that his people will be able to follow him and walk in a manner that is worthy of, of their calling as God's children. Now these laws that, that God gives to, to Moses at Mount Sinai, a lot of people think they're a bunch of do's and don'ts. But if you study these laws, they actually portrays the character of God and His justice on earth. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Exodus chapter 20, verse 3 to 4. So Exodus chapter 20, verses 3 to 4. I'll be reading it in the NIV version. So this is God's word. Verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath me or in the waters below. I'll read that again. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. So from this couple of verses, we're going to look at how God has demanded exclusive worship from His people. We're going to also look at the, the allures of idolatry and why it was so easy for the Israelites to fall into this trap. And last but not least, we're going to look at how it can apply into our everyday lives as Christians and how we can actually go about replacing these idols. So my conviction is that only when we're able to identify and replace these idols in our lives with something that is far greater, then we're actually able to live the life that God has actually intended for us from the start. So let's pray before we begin. Father God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this church. We thank you that your word is alive and it's living and it pierces our heart. Lord, I ask that your Holy Spirit come and, and meet with us uh, in this place. Come and transform us, change us, renew our hearts so that we can live lives that are worthy of the calling that you have given us. So thank you, O oh God, for being that one true God whom we need to worship. We pray all this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. So eight years, exactly eight years ago, I, I went on a trip to Taiwan with my family. Um, and when we were there in, in Taiwan, we, we met with some family members. Um, sorry, not family members. Uh, family friends. People who were very close to, to our family. And um, so this, this family, they, they weren't Christians. And they, and they took us to this place uh, that was famous for, for their for their idol worship. Uh, now, some of you have been to this place. 
I've heard some of you know this place, it's in Taiwan, it's called Luga. Alright? So they took us to Luga. And I'm thinking, why would they take us to this place? But when they took us there, they, they took us to a place where um, there was like all these temples and um, people were, were, were scrambling around worshipping these, these folk deities. And um, now, I, I have no idea why they wanted to take us here. They knew my, my parents were pastors and and they, they knew that we weren't interested in, in such a place like this. But you know, as you're a guest in anyone's country, you kind of just hop in the car, you follow along, you tag along, you don't make any complaints, and you're just happy that they're willing to take you out. But as I was at this place, I've, I've never seen in my life so many carved images made of gold or silver. See, people were, were running around making sure they put incense sticks on the altars and they were throwing like wood on the ground to to, to see if they can get some sort of luck for, the, for their families. Now, now, I have to say that not only was it a very unique experience for my family, but for me personally, it was, it was like a very dark scene. And all I remember was that I wanted to get out of this place. The whole time I was just walking behind my dad because I was so scared, right? I was 23 at that time, so you can, tell, you can imagine how scared I was. And I was walking back to the car I was having this conversation with my father, and I was telling him, I was like, Dad, I'm so glad that we're Christians. I'm, I'm so glad that we're not bowing to these images and we're spending our time and our energy in a place like this, hoping for a bit of luck in our life. And, and I was thinking about this. I was thinking, how can these people be so stupid in, in spending so much money to these gods who do not speak, nor, nor, nor do they... Nor do they um, give you answers, and they're just crafted by man's own hands. Now, in my heart, I was looking down on these people, and I was thanking God that I was not like any of those people. But as I thought a bit more deeply about this, it suddenly struck me that day. I'm actually no different to these people. In, in fact, in many ways, I'm exactly like them. That day, in, in, a, in a place called Luga, I I discovered that I actually have my own idols too. You see, even though my idols, they're not in Taiwan, they're not made out of silver or gold, doesn't mean that they don't exist in my life. The fact is, my idols is just as dangerous because it's subtle and it creeps into the way I live each and every day. Now, what do I mean by idols? Well, I mean this. An idol is something on this earth that claims the place in my heart that only God should have. Now, I know something on this earth that, that claims the place in my heart that only God should have. Now, this can be a physical object, it can be a person, it can be a sort of activity, it can be a role within an organization, it can be an image, it can be a certain type of pleasure. These are all type of idols. Now, another way we can look at this is from this perspective. As long as I have this in my life, then I will find true happiness. As long as I have this car, I'll find satisfaction in my life. As long as I have this girlfriend, then I will be truly content. You see, that day in Taiwan, as I was pointing out others and their foolishness in worshipping and bowing down to these fake images and, and, and carved images, I was blinded to the own idols of my own life. Now, I didn't know how blinded I was to my own idols that, that consumed my heart each and every day. Now, this problem of 
idolatry and worship of carved images is found in the people of Israel. You see, when God meets with them at this mountain, He lists out these rules on, on how to live and these commandments in accordance to His character. And the very first of the Ten Commandments states this, You shall have no other gods before me. And the second, it elaborates on the command not to bow down to any of these carved images. Now, why this command? In the book of Exodus, it's actually repeated again in Exodus 23. Well, from this commandment, we can see, first and foremost, that God, the God of Israel, He demands exclusive loyalty from His people. As the one true God who created all things, and he's brought his people out of slavery into freedom. God cannot and will not tolerate the worship of any other gods. Now this is rooted in the belief that the God of Israel is the only true God. And that no man-made image or object can ever depict this true God. So the worship of any carved image or object instead of God is an outright rejection of the God of Israel. Now, if you have studied the book of Exodus before, from either uh, hearing stories growing up at church about the book of Exodus, you know very clearly that God has shown many signs and wonders through plagues and parting the Red Sea. God has clearly displayed His power over creation. And He has shown to the surrounding nations that He is the Creator and the whole universe belongs to Him. And that is why God commands Israel to refrain from crafting any image or anything in heaven or earth for worship. Nothing created can serve to represent Him because God has made everything and every being. He is beyond them all. Israelites must worship Him as He is. They cannot envision Him or see what they would like him to be. Now back then, this was very interesting because the surrounding nations around Israel, they built their religions on what they could see. Idols made by men's hands. Everyone around them, all these surrounding nations were reliant on these idols and, the, and these so-called gods. But for Israel, God's chosen people, they had to be radically different to the surrounding nations. For Israel, they were to worship an invisible God and have nothing to do with these idols. Now within this culture of the ancient Near East, this would have been hard back then because worship of many gods, many different gods, was the norm. And to have exclusive worship to one deity is very unique. But in this way, Israel's uniqueness and their holiness actually separates them from surrounding nations. Now I think it's no different to us living in the 21st century. We often, every morning as we wake up, we, we hear competing messages around us, whether it's, it's media or amongst our friends, to live and do everything for ourselves. See, the people and the culture around us in the Bay Area is telling us, hey, it's okay to, to pursue after different idols. The idols of materialism, the idol of success, the idol of approval, the idol of recognition, the idol of sex, because these are tangible. And, and they can bring satisfaction in your life. That's the message that we constantly hear each morning. But here we are, people who have been set apart from God to not worship these idols 
but to worship this one true God. Now, the more I think about this, I think it's actually quite hard, to be honest. These competing messages that we get as we wake up, these two masters fighting for the affections of our hearts, and it constantly feels like there's this war that actually wages within our souls, one to follow after the idols of this world, and one to follow after the God of Israel. And it's not easy. And we see from the Israelites that they failed. Because in Exodus 32, they make for themselves a, a golden calf to worship and bow down to. Now, the more I think about this, why did the Israelites do this? I mean, if you think about it, God delivered them out of Egypt. Didn't they witness that God parted the Red Sea? Didn't they just witness that God sent the plagues upon the Egyptians? Didn't they witness how God brought them food and, and, and water in their journey to the promised land? Now, I, I think about this, and I think about my own life. You see, many times, we have, we have people who have been redeemed, we have been saved. God has given us so much joy and satisfaction in our lives. But often, we fall back to, the, to worship the idols in our own hearts. It's hard to, to just sit here and, and judge the Israelites for doing such a foolish thing when, when I myself am actually no different to the Israelites. And I was thinking about this, I, I listed out a few reasons why I think they did this. The first one is this. I think it was easy to do. It was easy to do. Offering a bit of food to these idols were easy. But being in an intentional, living relationship with God, Yahweh, it actually requires you see, at Mount Sinai, the Lord lists out commands and rules for, for the Israelites to live ethically in, to God's will and purpose for them. But by contrast, idolatry to these wooden images or carved images were easy. It just required you to drop off a little bit of food and walk off. It didn't require anything else. Many years ago, I had a chat with one of my uncles in Taiwan. And, and he bowed down to these idols, these folk deities. And I told him, I said, why do you do this? And he told me that it's actually much easier in the morning to just drop off a, a few oranges or, or apples than to follow after God's command and His will. You, you see the difference? Living for God requires you not to follow after your own way, but to follow after God's way. The, whole, the Christian life is actually about being in full surrender to God. Not just a couple of oranges in the morning, but for people like my uncle, they see that as much more convenient and, and easier to do than committing every area of his life to Christ. Second, I think it's convenience. I mean, if you think about it, we, we all love convenience. That's why we love Amazon, right? We have Amazon Prime, Amazon Now, and Amazon Go. Back then, in the surrounding nations, idol shrines were set up all over the place. From the high mountains to the hills and under every tree, there was some sort of God to worship. So basically, at any time of the day, you could go virtually anywhere and do your thing and just worship these so-called gods. But by contrast, God, the God of Israel, he required all Israelites to report to a single central location, the place that he chooses 
is where they ought to worship. Now, it would have been costly, it would have been time consuming, because they couldn't just go under some tree to worship. They had very specific commands from God to go where the Lord told them to go. Now, in our context today, we don't have so much of the same problem, because in Christ Jesus, we can worship Him any time of the day, any place, in our car, in our workplace, in our school. But, but there's one thing I want to address in regards to convenience. You see, often I hear people say to me, Ben, it, it's so much easier for me to just stay home on a Sunday morning in the comfort of my pajamas to worship God and to listen to some cool song on Spotify music. Now, why do I have to get up so early on a Sunday morning? Especially, you know, Home of Christ services are at 9.30. It's, it's so costly, it's time-consuming, and if we stay for Sunday school, it takes up our whole morning. And especially if Pastor Phil preaches for so long, then it will be a long day. But you see, what the Lord requires is that we actually gather together to worship Him as an assembly of people. In the Bible, we see faith, and especially you guys are going through the book of Acts, we see faith always in the context of one another. Everything is done, gathering with one another. And the New Testament is always teaching us to pray for one another, live with one another, care for one another, show mercy to one another. See, these are the things that we do as Christians to gather here. Whether it be youth group, Awana, young adults, prayer meeting, or Sunday worship, we intentionally put these times aside to gather with God's people, to worship Him. Now, it's fair to say that it may not be so convenient, but that's what the Lord requires of His people. Third, these idols back then were very pleasing to the senses. In 1 Kings 19, it describes that the Israelites practiced worshipping this fertility weather god Baal by bowing down to this idol and kissing it. You see, these idols provided worshippers with images that were pleasing to the eyes. And it appealed to the senses. By contrast, it's very hard to appreciate the beauty or the attractive attractiveness of someone who refused to be seen. God. In our context, the God of money, the God of sex, the God of comfort, the God of recognition is also very pleasing to our senses. All these things are pleasing to our eyes and it's tangible. We can feel it with our hands. We can experience the highs that it brings. And honestly, it's hard to appreciate the beauty of God when we none of us have seen God. But you see, God has revealed Himself to us, first through His Son, Jesus Christ, and through His Spirit working in our lives. And that's why it's so important for us, as God's people, to always go back to what God has revealed to us already, which is through His Word. And to appreciate what he has already done for us. You see, some of those reasons were, were why the Israelites fell into idolatry. And that same problem that they had is actually the same problem that we face today in our modern context. This allure of idolatry is actually not far removed from us. As much as we can sit here and think about the foolishness of the Israelites, in many ways, I think I'm actually no different. 
in our time, we can actually make idols out of everything. A French reformer by the name of John Calvin once said this. He says, the heart of a man is a perpetual factory of idols. The heart of a man is a perpetual factory of idols. What he's basically saying is this. If you give us any chance, we will replace God with any and every object, person, ideal, or dream. If you give us any chance, we will immediately replace God. Now, thinking about this, there's many idols that I can list out this morning. But I want to list out four specific idols that, that we face. The first one is the idol of success. The idol of success. It's fair to say that we're often consumed with how we are perceived or the approval of others. Where we stand in society, to what college we have attended, to where we work. You see, each and every one of us, we, are, we have this obsession with making it big and, and well-known. So what happens is we spend all our time and our energy on, 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 on trying to get into these best colleges and, and portraying that we are successful on social media. And we want everyone around us to know that. Second, what about some of us who have children? What about having our children as a in the Bay Area, some of us not only push our children to do their best, but to be better than the best. To stand out above their peers. So I see all the youth at our church, they just spend all their time pursuing excellence in sports and academia, and a whole bunch of activities. All with the expectation of getting into the best college, followed by the best job, and ultimately they think that it will bring them the best life. Now, I know some parents don't pressure their kids into doing this. In fact, a lot of our youth at our church, they do this for themselves. They want the recognition. They want the success and approval from others. So they block out everything else from their lives simply to pursue this one thing, which is success. Third, what about some of us who have spouses? What about having a spouse as, as an idol? Some of us can put our spouse on a pedestal. Their approval, their recognition of us and our works is more important to us than God's. See, I often hear people that say that they've slowly stopped trusting in God and they actually put more weight in the abilities of their husband or their wives. Having a spouse as an idol is actually a real thing. Fourth, Ministry success is also an idol. You know, I've met so many people, whether Bible study leaders, people in the AV ministry, worship ministry, uh, preachers, pastors, they want to be recognized for the ministry that they do. Some pastors, how many retreats have I preached at? How many people attend my church? See, this is not just limited to full-time ministers, but those who are serving in church in any area from worship, Bible study, you name it. Some of us find our greatest fulfillment and satisfaction in serving Jesus rather than in Jesus. And often in the context of church, we talk about Jesus, but rather it's, it's actually about us and what we are doing and what we are accomplishing through our own works, what we are achieving through our means. 
Like many idols in our lives, a lot of them can be quite subtle. And it creeps in and it's hard to identify. Because often an idol is something that is crafted around something that is good. Now this is the tricky bit. Earning money, is that a good thing? Of course, it's a good thing. We need money to survive. We need money to, to give to the kingdom of God. We need money to support our parents. What about success? Seeing our kids succeed in college, that's great. For them to study hard, to be recognized, it's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with a little bit of success. There's nothing wrong with a little bit of recognition. It's good that we excel in all that God has given us, the, the gifts that he has, he, has, he has given upon us so that we can live to our fullest potential. But what happens is that if we are not careful, and what often happens is that the enemy, Satan, he takes what is good and he distorts it. And that's when a good thing becomes bad. You see, if we are not careful, the good of wanting to provide for our families become the idol of always needing to achieve more and more money. The good of desiring a marriage can also become a false god when we put our whole reliance on our spouse. You see, the problem isn't the money or the marriage. The problem comes when we place our whole trust in these things to satisfy our hearts instead of God. The problem is when you and I value something that is created far more than we value the actual creator. So what can we do about this? Is there any hope for us as Jesus followers? There is. First, we have to name the idols in our hearts. If we can name the idols in our hearts, then we've taken the right step in the right direction. Maybe for some of you, Comfort is an idol. Approval is an idol. Maybe it's ministry is an idol. Success is an idol. Maybe it's your own family. If you can name it this morning, then you can expose these idols. And you can question yourself right now. Have any of these things actually brought any true satisfaction in my life? Has it brought any joy in my heart? Ask yourself these questions. I want you at this moment to think about how these idols have lied to us and how, have, how they have subtly pulled us away from our relationship with Christ. Second, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of the gospel, overcomes our problem with idolatry. The idol of money says to us, if you don't do enough to obtain me, I'll make you sad and miserable. The idol of family says, if you lose me, life won't be worth living anymore. The idol of comfort says again and again to us, sacrifice your honesty, your integrity, your closest relationships for me. The idol of success says to us, there is nothing else in this universe far more important than yourself. You see, if you think about it, idols are really harsh taskmasters. If you fail these idols, they make you pay. But in the gospel, Jesus says to us, you did fail me. You did stuff up. But instead of destroying and making you pay, I'll let myself be destroyed for you. Instead of demanding a sacrifice, I will become the sacrifice for you. 
In Jesus, unlike idols, we find the only God that when we come to Him, He will satisfy us, and when we fail Him, He will forgive us. Third, we have to realize that these idols simply cannot be removed. They must be replaced. These idols cannot be removed. They must be replaced. One pastor by the name of Tim Keller, he says, the solution for us is not to love good things less, like our work or our family, but to love the best thing more. That best thing is Jesus Christ. How can we go about loving Him more? Well, we ought to spend time with Him in our devotion. We ought to spend time with Him in our prayer life, our church gatherings. All these things assist us in loving and knowing Him more. So as I draw to a close this morning, the reality is this. You and I, we can't win this war of worship on our own, this war of these idols on our own. We don't have the ability to free ourselves from any of these idols that continue to lay siege upon our hearts each and every morning. But you're not alone. Because Jesus Christ came to, to, to break your idolatry. And he came to set you free. So as I draw to a close, I want you for this moment to think and reflect. What are the idols in your own life? Are they taking control of you? How much time are you devoting to these idols? Where do you turn to when things are going wrong in your life? What do you spend your money on? Now look at your life. Look at the time. Take a look at this past week and ask yourself, where were all my thoughts? What was I actually busy with? Was I actually spending time with God? Was I actually spending time serving Him and being in communion with Him? You see, as I self-reflected on these questions, I was just convicted. There's actually many idols in my own heart. And I've actually allowed all these idols to take God's rightful place. And I needed to face these idols. I needed to replace them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I needed to repent of them and start to make Christ alone the center of my life. And I came to this realization that all these things that are fighting for the affections of my heart cannot and will not satisfy. Only God can satisfy the deepest longings of our hearts. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can learn from the Israelites. Lord, that there is actually many allures of idolatry. It can be very pleasing to our senses. It can be very attractive. But Lord, these idols, they fail to, to deliver what they promise. But only you, Jesus Christ, you have come that when we come to you, you will love us, you will care for us, you will forgive us. Lord, help us to replace these idols in our hearts with you and you alone. Help us to be loyal to you. Help us to see you as the one true God. Help us to see you as all-powerful, all as beautiful, majestic. Help us, O oh God, to break the idolatries in our hearts. 
so that we can really live out what you intended for us. Thank you, O God, for this church. Thank you for your word. I pray all this in Jesus' mighty name.